uniquely in this season, and I, I don't mean uniquely in terms of I always, when I teach, uh, believe God's speaking and seek that. Maybe more than ever in these last few weeks, I've experienced more that God's been speaking to me and something I've needed to hear and almost the sense of preaching to myself. And so I'm going to invite you. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's so funny. Siri never talks, but somehow she heard something that she wanted to say to me. Uh, I want to in, invite you into maybe my own uh, process right now. I had three specific memories that came to me this week, three specific different times in very unique ways that impacted me that I believe God's speaking to me and maybe in turn to us. One relates to adhesions. That's the first one, and I'll, I'll come back to it. The second, oddly, relates to the book of Numbers, which in case you don't know, if you haven't been around the Bible, is not the most interesting book you could choose to read from. It happened to be where my reading was. And the third relates to milk and honey. So this is what it was, adhesions, numbers, and milk and honey. Now I wanna begin uh, with adhesions. Uh, what happened related to this is a memory came back. Uh, I have prayed over lots of people and prayed for lots of things in the course of my pastoral life and simply as a follower of Jesus. In fact, I, I was thinking of the different things we ask for and pray for. Uh, you might even, in your chats right now, write down interesting things you've asked for over the course of your life or prayed for. I mean, I'll give you a few. I asked for uh, Jim West costumes, because Wild West was my favorite show. Don't ask me why. I was convinced, convinced if I prayed hard enough that God would put one on the lower bed of my trundle bed. I even kept it out in case it showed up. I mean, I prayed for all sorts of things that I've wanted or longed for, and I prayed for unique things. I mean, I've prayed for people with hemorrhoids. Tell me the last time you prayed for someone's hemorrhoids. That is a weird thing to pray for, but it's important. I've sat with people on their deathbed and prayed for them. I've watched them go into eternity. I've watched people be restored beautifully in praying. And this experience, as it relates to adhesions, wasn't even so much about what I was praying for, though it was significant, it was something that just hit me in what was going on that I've always remembered and always felt like God was teaching me something in it. What specifically happened in this circumstance was that I was praying for one of our staff spouses at a previous church I was working at, and she was about to go into surgery to repair some rotator cuff issues. She had had surgery before, but had developed adhesions specifically that were problematic. Now, I called a friend of mine, Dan, who's an orthopedic surgeon this week because I realized I don't really even understand adhesions. I don't really know what they are. And he spoke to me about the reality that they're really the wonder of tissue coming back together with organs and, and healing up. Adhesions are what put it back together. What had happened and what can happen, as I asked him more about this, is in some circumstances, the adhesions bond in the wrong way or create something unhealthy or there are too many of them. And when that happens, what is required to bring healing is to tear the adhesion, to rip it apart. In a sense, you have to break what's built together in the wrong way, rip it apart, and then slowly over time, help it to heal in the right way that nothing would change. It would actually work in the proper way, in other words. When I was praying for this, it, it hit me so significantly of an image that in our own lives we adhere to things. There are ways that we live that are adhesions, but they're to the wrong things. That there will be times that they're ripped apart in an effort to let us break free of them and learn a new way or a different way. 
And God reminded me, I believe, of that this week and that we are in a unique time. I don't believe he was saying, I'm causing this, this is why it's being done. But in the midst of it, something he's doing is that we are all having a place where we are having the lives we knew ripped away. But maybe it has a purpose in that what's being torn away are things that have adhered in the wrong way and caused us to live in a way that we would say is dysfunctional, sinful, not really what God has. And the first thing that God showed me, reminded me of, was in my own life. He's tearing some things away. And so maybe that's a word for all of us. I know it is for me. That was the first piece of this. The second relates to the book of Numbers. And I want you just to consider the first with me. Could it be that God is actually in the midst of this tearing things away and allowing you to look differently at your life? The second relates to the book of Numbers. And to understand it, you have to understand that Numbers is written specifically when Israel is in the wilderness. Now, there's a pattern to this, so I want to just explain it as an overview. Some of you will know it. Some of you don't. And that's okay. That's part of the reason I want to give explanation to it. Don't feel badly if you don't know the stories and all of Scripture. Our intent is not to say you should have. It's an invitation to say you can And in the midst of that, we discover God and we hear from him. It isn't simply a book of education. It's a book of revelation. And we want to know the living God behind the writing. Anyway, when you think of the wilderness, you have to understand it this way. Israel was in Egypt. They were there for 400 plus years. They were living in slavery. Their lives were constantly never-ending performance, just trying to do one thing after another. And what had become, what was initially a wonderful thing, had become an enslaving to them. Now, in the midst of this, God finally frees them through the parting of these waters. They are freed out. By the way, it's an image. God brings them out of this bondage into new life. It's the very image of Jesus coming and living and dying and rising that Jesus, through his death, brings us through the waters of death to new life. But when they get to this time, it doesn't begin the way they thought it would, and they end up in the wilderness for 40 years. And then from the wilderness, through all that happens here, God's going to prepare them to what's called the land of milk and honey. And I'll come back to that. But they only call it milk and honey because in the ancient world, those two commodities were an image of great wealth, great joy, and great freedom. And so I want you to understand the wilderness itself is a place between slavery and freedom. It's a unique place. And before we look at this short text in Numbers... I want you to consider what God does in the wilderness. In fact, it's very clear, Moses tells us this really kind of uniquely and powerfully of what God actually does in the wilderness. He does it in one particular passage in Deuteronomy, which, by the way, as a side note, Deuteronomy is the most quoted book of the Bible by Jesus. Hardly ever refer to it, do we, but it is powerful. So this is what Moses tells us, that when God brought them in the wilderness, he did it to humble and test you, it says, in order to know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. In other words, where your heart actually is. Now, there's a couple of just specific things I want you to get, because here's what I believe God is saying, at least to me, and I think to maybe all of us. And it's just this. That uniquely, we have had everything torn away like an adhesion, ripped away, and we are now in a unique wilderness. And in this place, there is a place and an opportunity to humble ourselves, 
to look where our hearts really are captured and perhaps in the tearing they can be reclaimed and given a new place. Now, in case you don't know too, when it says test in the Hebrew scriptures, this idea of testing us, there's a very specific meaning to it. It's the word nasah, and it doesn't mean to test you like to discover and catch you, like a, a test a teacher may give, even just to find out what you know and don't know. Testing in the Hebrew means to take you where you are and to elevate you. In other words, what a test does is it grows you and it elevates what God has for you. That's what James writes about when he says, rejoice in your trials. He writes this to early church and says, because the testing of your faith will mature you, will make you greater, will do something. Now, we don't believe that's on our own, but that's the very purpose of the wilderness, that something happens to elevate us, where the opportunity is there. Now, there's a second part that Moses reminds us of too. This is in Deuteronomy 8. He says, also, it's to teach you that humanity does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It's gonna seem like maybe a simple idea, but boy, I think this is transformational. I guess what I'm finding is how much will I let the tear go and how much might I, might I relinquish? If I were to take these two ideas, what I would say they sum up to is to live dependent. To live dependent. In other words, it's a place that we go, I can't do this alone, and God, I need you. It's the place we declare we aren't self-sufficient, we aren't self-promoting, and we can't elevate ourselves. We can only humble ourselves to say that we will live dependent. What I would say is we learn to live dependent. We learn to live dependent on God in the wilderness. That I think that's what's gonna happen. I think this idea of adhesions is tearing away our independence, is ripping away the things that we built around and inviting us to live dependent. Live saying, God, I need you. I want something to be different. Now, where that took me to was my daily reading, which was crazy. It was in Numbers. And I want to give a backdrop to it because when I get to this chapter, in chapter 19, something has happened. In the wilderness, Israel has just built this tabernacle. They spent a great deal of time doing it. And I want you to understand when we speak of the tabernacle, it's very simply this idea. God gave them this design, this build, so that he could be in the center of them. You can see it from the image here, all these tents around, and then the tabernacle in the middle. It's the idea, not just that they were in the wilderness, but that God would be in the center of them, that there's something unique. You want to talk about living dependent, this is an image of it. It's an image of that they were to build a place for God's presence to dwell, and when he dwelt there, he would be in the middle of all of them. And by the way, one of the pictures of this I don't want us to miss is just the unique picture that it's in the middle of them, not each one alone. I'll come back to it, but I think our radical independence is a bit of something God wants to tear away and build differently in us. So with that background, let me take you to numbers and what happened in my daily reading. This is in Numbers chapter nine, and it says this. This is when the tabernacle is just made. On the day it was made, the tent of the covenant of the law was set up. All that God has given them was placed in the middle with his presence. The cloud covered it. In other words, the cloud, by the way, is a manifestation of God's presence. 
It's called a pillar of cloud in other areas. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. So it's a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Now I want to pause there and even just take in this first image. It's, it's a powerful image to me uh, of what it can be. The idea of showing God's presence as a cloud and, a, and fire is, has lots of pictures to it. It's showing his presence, but I want you to consider it particularly in the wilderness. In the wilderness, in the desert, the heat of the day was overwhelming. And in the desert, the cold of the night could be quite brisk and problematic too. So it's no coincidence that God comes as a pillar of cloud during the day. The cloud itself becomes a shade for Israel. Now, in case you don't know, and I'm not expecting all of us would, God is often referred to as shade in, through the Old Testament, particularly through the Psalms. And it's very particular, too, that their enemies are like the sun scorching them, and God will be their shade. He will be the covering that gives them peace in the midst of the battle. And the same way at night, in the cold isolation and loneliness, God is a fire over them to warm up in the frigidness of life in that way. It's just a, simply a picture of God covering, protecting, watching over, being with. It's a great picture for us of ripping the adhesions of our independence and going, what would it look like for you and me to live in this dependent place where God himself becomes our covering in the heat of burden. God himself becomes the warmth and the isolation and loneliness we face. Though it means much more than that. It continues in this passage to speak of how God does some really wonderful things that he rests on them and he moves away. And when he steps away, they're to follow and he rests there to stay. It's this beautiful picture of how they have to just kind of wait and see. In fact, a few verses later, it says it this way. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in a camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. This was actually the part of my reading that I think hit me the most. Uh, it, was, it was amazing to read and go, I'm reading numbers right now. It's my daily reading. It really doesn't seem that significant, but it grabbed me partly because of just the statements. In fact, earlier in this passage, it says simply that sometimes the, the cloud would come over, it would be fire at night, and literally it would, by morning they would have to leave. So it was just an overnight, like stopping at a hotel on a journey somewhere. Other nights, even in the night, God, the fire would move and they'd have to go. Imagine this, they were sitting in a place where they were always ready to go and always ready to stay. I want you to consider that for a minute because it's what hit me is that during this unique season of pandemic and during this unique time of isolation, every day is different and we don't know how long it will last. And if you're like me, I often look to how much longer, how can I plan for, what will this be? And to consider instead that God's saying, you know what? Stop worrying about how long. It could be a night, it could be a week, it could be a month. It could be three months. Why don't you look to me in it instead of waiting for it to come free? Why don't you stop looking to get back to the life you had, to let those adhesions grow back, and instead ask me to be with you in this? Why don't you learn to live dependent? 
I don't think Israel ever realized it, but the, the gift of 40 years, I think, was an incredible gift. It was decades of learning to live dependently, trusting that it would get ingrained in them that maybe they would begin, even when they had freedom, to stay in that place. In a sense, to live like they're still in the wilderness, to live dependent on God in all circumstances. I want to invite you, and you can do it on the chat even if you want to, you can list things that it'll be a little safer to list things we all are building on, things that you think maybe God wants to tear out of us right now to take those things we bonded to and rip the adhesions out and give us a new life. Just even consider what they might be and go ahead and put them on the chats in the places you are, whether watching online or on Facebook, whether you're watching it this morning when we're all together or sometime watching it later and just in the format you are, even maybe make notes. Let me invite you to take it a step further and consider in your own life, what are the things you've been resting on that aren't putting the tabernacle of your life in the center, the tabernacle of who God is in the center, I mean, and putting us around him, not just you and him. What might those things be? I know for me, uh, I've realized I rest on some of the comfort and the things that I can count on, even from a sake of economic uh, stability, that I can count on for the sake of freedoms in the way I live my life, that I can count on for things I've built alongside of saying it's part of being a Christian, but it's really just part of building my life comfortably. I wonder what it is that's keeping us from learning to live dependent on God and could it be a gift right now that God's saying, I want you to learn to live dependent on me in this wilderness. I think God's saying something, not just to meet it to us. And then let me take you to this last piece because it relates to coming out of it into the land of milk and honey. In this same chapter in Deuteronomy that I shared an excerpt from earlier where it speaks of what God wants to do in the wilderness, It continues in chapter eight, and he makes this really simple statement. I don't have it on the screen, but I want to read it to you. He says, when you get there, when you get to this land of milk and honey, when you live in a place of freedom and all that you want, even excess and wonder and the life you thought you wanted and could have, I want to tell you, when you do this and when you're satisfied, it says, praise the Lord your God for the good land, and it finishes with, he has given you. In other words, what he's saying is when you have much, remember the source of that much is him. And it's not you alone, it's you together. And what goes on from here, and I believe this is the challenge that I experienced and I want to give to us, and it takes us to this third part. I'll explain it in a minute. But what I think God showed me and even said to me about it is what he cautions in this time. This is what he says will happen if you don't live in this place of gratitude. Then your heart will become proud, he says, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He goes on in here to kind of give descriptions of it, not descriptions most of us might understand today. He talks about when you see all of your livestock and you see all of your land and you see all that you have, you're gonna have a different attitude about it than the attitude you had of dependence in the wilderness. And then he goes on to say what you'll do. You may even say to yourself, my power and the strengths of my hand have produced this wealth for me. 
You know, I'm going to keep going, but I want to pause for a second. I want you to consider a cultural value we have, particularly even a nationalistic value we have, which in the statement of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, many people have gotten to the place where radical independence, pull yourself up from your bootstraps, I can do it, my measure of success is based on my power and my strength. I did it. I want you to see how this is a challenge to us. I'm in no way saying that what's bad about us as a nation or people is there, but the propensity and the possibility we should be cautioning. Hear what he says next. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who even gives you the ability, who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. In other words, all that you have is not just based on what you did, it's based on who God is, what he has done, what he's done for the people who went before you. By the way, that's another problem we have, at least I do. I don't associate with much of any history. I leave myself independent of most of it. And what he's warning us here in Deuteronomy is we have a heritage that we're part of that's been part of the blessing. And are we missing it? And then he gives this final, what I would say is caution and admonition. If you do forget the Lord your God and you follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, and make no mistake, this doesn't mean you simply build an idol. All you have to ask yourself is what are the things I'm building my life around? What's at the center is it really the tabernacle of God or is it the tabernacle of fill in whatever you've had torn away that you're going, I need this back? That'll tell you what it is. And I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. In other words, it won't keep working. And I want to take you to what was the third revelation for me this week. And I believe it's of God. You can certainly argue with me about it, but I just can't get away from this. This is what I believe he showed me, that when we live in the land of milk and honey and forget him and attribute it to ourselves, the land of milk and honey becomes Egypt. In other words, we become enslaved to trying to keep win and succeed and get better and have our own way. And though it feels like a place or appears like broken honey, it becomes our own enslavement, our own Egypt. I've had to ask myself that question this week is where am I living? Where have I been living like I've been in Egypt thinking it was milk and honey? Where have I built my own community around other things than having Jesus at the center, where have I stopped or not even understood to live dependent on God? I, it was revelatory for me to consider, and it made the picture of adhesion so much more to think, boy, we're having this stuff ripped away, and I think it's got a purpose. I think God is doing something wonderful in it to say, would you stop thinking you're in the land of milk and honey and realize what matters is living as if you're in the wilderness always dependent on me. Now, I always fear when I make these statements that it'll leave us feeling like it's up to us. 
And I want you to see the centrality of this through John's gospel. This is one of the four accounts of Jesus. And he says this about Jesus. The word became flesh, meaning this written word became the living word. God didn't just say who he was. He showed who he is when Jesus came and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Now what I love, this word dwelling is literally a transliteration from Greek, if you take it to Hebrew, of tabernacle. In other words, the picture John is drawing is the picture of Jesus being in the center and all of us living around him. He's at the center. Now, there are two pictures I want you to get of this. One is we need him. And one of the beautiful pictures that makes us different than what Israel went through in the Old Testament time is not that we are different, but that Jesus, after he made his dwelling here, died and rose again, went to heaven, and his Holy Spirit came to live in us, to tabernacle in us. And as he tabernacles in us, we now are the place he dwells in a sense that he's built a way for us to actually live it, not just said figure it out. And I want to show you another piece, which is among us and we. I think two things. We're not dependent on him enough to do the transforming work and to seek him. And the second is, even if we are, we do it alone. And I think our rugged individualism and independence is something we need ripped away. And I have to tell you, it's one of the things I've seen changing. (laughs) I have never seen a time when people have more been reaching out for each other Because as it's ripped away, we realize, I can't do this alone. I need connection, community, interaction. I think there's a gift for us in the midst of this mess. I think it's this, that you're to carry your independence on Jesus from the wilderness. I don't believe in any way we will stay in the wilderness for a long time even. I don't know how long. But it's not indefinite at all. But the deal is we will live in it and we're to carry it even when we come out and we're to carry it together. You know, I think God's inviting us to build our life around him, to let this tearing of all the other things we built go away and go, listen, I want it to be me at the center. And he doesn't say it because he's selfish. He says it because he's the best thing to give. I want you to get just a picture of this, even as you contemplate it. And I'm gonna pray for us in a minute. But I want you to get just a picture of what this means As you're asking questions like this, am I building my life around him? Am I willing to even declare my dependence on him? Can I see the hope that he wants to give me in the midst of what seems like a trying and difficult time? Maybe even is there something sacred going on in the midst of this mess? Again, I'm not saying God caused this pandemic at all, but I'm saying God takes everything and offers opportunity in it. And I don't want us to miss, I don't want to miss that I think he's saying, I've taken these adhesions, I'm tearing them off. I am giving you an opportunity in the wilderness to let me be at the center to rediscover who I am, that Jesus came to dwell among us, that he even gives us his spirit to tabernacle, to be with us, to be in the center, but not alone together. He's doing something powerfully. I wanna give you a picture of this dependence from an Old Testament story. It's in Exodus 17. In this place, Israel is going to battle with a group called the Amalekites. They're a difficult, overwhelming group, and they represent a lot more even than they are just in the battle. And so they head out to battle, 
And as they head out, Moses stands on a mountain. And as he stands on this mountain, he lifts his hands up in intercession to God. He's basically for the whole body saying, we need you, we can't do this. And when his arms are up, they are winning the battle. And when his arms go down, they start to lose. Pretty soon others come alongside of him to hold it up because all of them need to realize how dependent they are. Even the ones out battling going, I can't do this alone unless you hold us up. And they give God a new name when they finish this battle. The name is Jehovah Nissi. And it is God, our victory. You see, I think God wants us to get all a bunch of new names for him. I don't mean different than the name of Jesus. I mean, it's Jesus, but in all sorts of understanding of all that he is. He's our victory. He's our healer. He's our comfort. He's our provider. He's our rock. I think that happens when we step out in complete dependence. We need you. And I think Jesus wants us to carry that dependence. He wants us to live dependent on him from the wilderness together in all that we face. Let me pray, and then we want to seal the reality of this truth, even singing in response of Jesus as our victory. Pray with me. Lord, I ask uh, in this time that you would meet us uniquely. God, that you would reveal yourself individually and together. Lord, I am praying that we would discover you in a way we just haven't before. God, that the tearing away of things that we've held to would be a wonderful tear. Though it hurts and aches, that it would bring us to just a place of unique dependence on you. God, would you show us the things we've made a tabernacle in the center of our lives? Would you show us how we've thought ourselves independent and how we think we can accomplish this on our own and even said, I'm better than and I do more than and people get what they deserve instead of us saying, God, you alone provide in the place of wilderness and the place of milk and honey. God, may you do something in us that even when we return to a place of more, it would never be a substitute for you. God, help us to live dependent on Jesus and to carry that in everything. We need you. We can't do this alone. So we are crying out for your help and your power in it. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.